Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. Well, we are two weeks before Christmas, hard to believe. And hopefully you have been taken seriously because we're deep into it now, this preparation for Christmas, the Advent season, or as we say in the Eastern churches, the Philip's fast. Again, a time of penance, which should not be seen in the negative. Penance means basically dying to self, saying no to self, so as to open to our real self. So there's a dark part about it, but then there's a joyful part about it. In other words, we become darkened, in a sense, to open ourselves to the light. So we pray, we fast, and we increase our works of charity. And the prayer part also includes doing more spiritual reading, good books, listening to CDs. Boy, there's so much that we can get in media sources today, from videos to DVDs to CDs, so many sources, that it's part of, really, become part of our prayer life. So when I say prayer life, I mean a very integrated approach, feeding ourselves spiritually, and of course, doing also formal prayer. More church attendance. For those of you with the Latin rite, maybe more time at Eucharistic adoration, or if you don't do it already, try it. For the Eastern churches, you can come into a church, spend time before the icons in prayer, meditation. The Eucharist is always in the sanctuary on the altar in Eastern churches. It's not exposed, but it's there, present, so the presence of Christ is very real in the Eastern churches, both through the iconography and also through the Eucharist itself that's in the tabernacle on the altar. So a variety of ways of increasing our prayer time and prayer life, along with then the increased works of charity. Another thing that happens during this time of preparation for the nativity of our Lord in the flesh, if you notice, the feast day, the observances liturgically, are all about conception, birth, and family. So this month, these weeks before Christmas, and Christmas itself, is a very, very, what we might call in today's terms, pro-life time of year, very pro-life. The focus is on conceptions that are very, very miraculous, such as 
what we just celebrated, the Immaculate Conception, or as we say in the Eastern churches, the conception of the Mother of God in the womb of St. Anne, or again, the maternity of St. Anne. Then there is the actual, of course, birth of Christ, and there is the references to the family of Jesus. And this happens in the Eastern churches on our liturgical calendar on the first two Sundays before Christmas itself. We go into the family life of Jesus, his genealogy. In particular, the genealogy is read on the Sunday just prior to Christmas. But this Sunday, which is the second Sunday before Christmas itself, we focus on the patriarchs, the forefathers of Christ, going all the way back to Jacob, Isaac, Abraham. In fact, we do these prayers, and again, when we pray is the way we understand and express what we believe in the Eastern churches in particular. And we pray this way in the Vesper service for this Sunday of the Holy Fathers or the patriarchs. Today we commemorate the ancestors of Christ, sing with the fervor of hymn of praise to Christ the Savior who exalted them above all nations. He is the Lord who does wondrous deeds because he is powerful and mighty. From them he brought forth a royal scepter, the Immaculate Maiden of God and Virgin Mary. From her Christ our God came forth to give life and eternal salvation for all. And we make references to them especially as they are found in the scripture. And we sing this, O Lord and Master, you rescued the three holy youths from the fire. You saved Daniel from the mouths of the lions. You blessed Abraham, Isaac, your servant, and Jacob, his son. You willed to be like one of us by choosing to be born from them in order that you might save our forefathers who had fallen. The three holy youths were refreshed by the Holy Spirit when they walked in the fire as though in a cool place. In them, the Trinity and the Incarnation of Christ were prefigured in a mystical manner. By their wisdom and faith, they overcame the power of fire. As for the just Daniel, he stopped the mouths of lions. Through their intercession, we beseech you, our Savior and lover of mankind, protect us from eternal fire. Make us worthy of your heavenly kingdom. Then one more verse here. When the three holy youths stood in the flaming furnace, as if covered with dew, they mystically prefigured your coming from the Virgin, giving light to us without being consumed. So again, you see that typically Eastern use of the Bible, the scriptures, it's very allegorical. It's reading back into the scriptures, especially this time of year. It reads back into the events and the people of the Old Testament and sees in them these prefigurements of Christ and the Mother of God. The entire Old Testament really is about Christ and the Mother of God, meaning not only the Mother of God herself, but also the miraculous virgin birth, as we see right here. And again, I'll read this. They mystically prefigured your coming from the virgin. In other words, God himself, who not even the universe can contain, it's like trying to hold fire in our hands. Like imagine if we can get our hands around the sun in the sky. That would be impossible. We would just be vaporized, disintegrated, Well, it's the same thing with God, so much more with God. Actually, it's not the same as actually so much more. Try to contain the powerful, infinite God within something finite. And yet, that which contained this infinite God was held intact. What's that sound like? Sound like the Virgin Mary, but it also sounds like the burning bush. Or, as we just read here in these these prayers, Daniel in the lion's den, or the three ewes in the flaming furnace, that something happened in a 
different natural yet unnatural manner. And these things always point to the coming of Christ through the miraculous virgin birth. So we look back on Christ and we look back on him as he is revealed and prefigured in the Old Testament, and in particular through certain persons, especially the the fathers, the forefathers, the patriarchs, Isaac, Abraham, Jacob. They all in their own way prefigure something of Christ. They have a a piece of the meaning of Christ, the Christ event within their own lives. And they were the ones to whom God first made the promise, established the covenant. And from this covenant, of course, would come eventually Christ himself. And that covenant was a prefigurement of our relationship with God, which would come to a perfection in Jesus Christ. In other words, it would no longer be just a covenant. Covenants are good but it would be more than a covenant. It would be a relationship of intimacy, ultimate intimacy. As Jesus said one time, the apostles, I call you friends. And friends was a very, very loaded word. It meant more than just like, oh, you're my friend. It wasn't superficial. It meant we have an intimacy here that goes beyond just my father in heaven, meaning that I'm just a father to you. Yes, I am that to you, but I am also something very intimate. And we can only use analogies, as Christ himself did, analogies such as a marriage, a spousal relationship with God, a relationship of sonship, of being his sons and daughters, a relationship of friendship, all kinds of relationships that denote one thing in particular, and that is a new kind of intimacy that we have as a result of the coming of Christ, which was not the same in the Old Testament. They had a certain intimacy with God, especially Moses, but not in the same way. I mean, let's face it, it wasn't until Christ came in the flesh that he could then give us his own flesh forever, such as in the Eucharist. Imagine, we can take God into ourselves and we can unite ourselves with him totally, body, mind, soul, spirit, physically, spiritually. This is the great miracle of the season, the incarnation for which we prepare. We prepare it in the Eastern churches by looking at Christ's family, his heritage. Now, as I always like to say, we live the liturgy. We just don't attend church. These are not just nice, pious things we've been doing for many centuries, and the church has this great tradition and ancient practices to it. It is that, but it's so much more. The main thing to remember about the church and the liturgical calendar, and in particular the Bible itself, is that it is timeless. It is for all times. The stories in the Bible, these figures, Jacob, Isaac, Adam, Moses, Abraham, they are prefigurements of Christ, but they also are us. They are our story. Think of Abraham. Think of that test that God put him through, that he would give up his only son. Now, many of you listening know what I'm talking about from your own experience. Maybe you've lost a child, maybe even an only child. There was a Byzantine Catholic priest friend of mine. His name was John, John Keblish, a young priest, a wonderful young priest. He was a priest for only about 10 years, and then he died of cancer at the age 38 very energetic, much-loved priest that we look upon to build a future on. As I was older than he was, priests like me would look back at these young men, and we look with great hope that 
they can carry on, you know, the baton after us. There's someone to follow us in our parishes, keep up with the work that we did, hopefully, in the Lord. So we had lots of hope for John. He was very energetic. He was a wonderful priest. And he was the only child, the only son. And imagine, his parents had to surrender their son twice, just like Abraham was asked to do to his son Isaac. Of course, God spared him from sacrificing Isaac, but he did put him to the test. Abraham felt that. He was brought to the brink of that sense of loss. Imagine a father sacrificing his own son, God asking him to do that. Well, John's parents had to surrender their son once to God as a priest, a celibate priest, which meant they would have no grandchildren. And there is a sense of surrendering your child to God. There is a real sense of for a parent, when a man becomes a priest, that that son is, in a sense, dying to them. They're losing him because there's a real sense that he's being turned over to someone else, and of course, is God. So they felt that pain, which is at the same time a joyful pain, obviously. But then they felt the pain of God asking for their son once again, but this time forever. And I often imagine what their pain was like and must still be like. And it's only because there are people of faith, like Abraham, and probably they drew upon the example of Abraham. That's why we put the example of forefathers in front of us at this time of year. These observances are absolutely relevant to us. Now, they always were, and for all time. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. Why do people call St. Nicholas Santa Claus anyway? Well, the people of Holland have always had a special fondness for St. Nicholas, or Santa Claus as they call me. In fact, to this very day, I still arrive to deliver gifts on St. Nicholas Eve, that's December 5th, dressed as a Roman Rite Bishop and riding my white horse, Amerigo. Anyway, in the 16th century, when Dutch settlers came to the New World, they brought their Santa Claus tradition with them to a place called New Amsterdam. That's modern New York City. And so, when the English-speaking settlers arrived, they began to mispronounce my Dutch name of Santa Claus, which means, of course, St. Nicholas, and they began to call me Santa Claus. So Santa Claus really means St. Nicholas. But no matter what I'm called by name, my spirit is still the same. I'm filled with the joy that flows from the Christmas proclamation, Christ is born, glorify him. (laughs) You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East. 
and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host, as we are in this second Sunday before the birth of our Lord, the coming of God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, the great kenosis, the self-emptying, the incarnation. There's so many ways to describe this mystery, and we need a lot of ways. That's why we use a lot of words in the Eastern churches. Sometimes people wonder, why do we use so many words? We're just one word after the other, the prayers are long and ongoing, and the services are long. And one of the reasons is because we are, in a sense, scrambling or tripping over ourselves, trying to find enough words, trying to find adequate words. Like, maybe this one works. No, no, there's another one that's even better. No, there's one that's maybe it's even better. We're trying to describe so great a mystery as God, and in particular, this mystery of his incarnation is coming in the flesh. So as we try to use words, we use them in the context of certain observances, such as looking at the genealogy, the heritage of Jesus Christ, and how that is relevant for us. In other words, we're called to look at our own families, our own heritage. Now, on a personal note, I can tell you how real this is for me. When it comes to these Sundays before Christmas, when we examine it very closely, and in a very allegorical and metaphorical and theological sense, all the persons that had something to do with Christ coming in the flesh and the foretelling of him, all the way back from Adam to the patriarchs, all the way through to his foster father Joseph and the Virgin Mary, all the people of his lineage, all, that, all those that prophesied of his coming. As I look at all of them, and as always, I look at it in terms of my own experience. Because this past year, was a year of tragedy for me in some ways, but at the same time, the eyes of faith look at those things ultimately as triumph, and we trust God's wisdom. As many of you know, my father passed away December 11th of last year, and my brother on May 15th of this past year, and I just now buried my aunt, who was my father's oldest sister, and she was my godmother. From my father's family, there's only one remaining person, and that's my Aunt Martha. She has buried all the rest of her siblings and her parents. And as I look at that, it causes you to look very closely, as we are with Christ's family, at your own family. It makes you think about memories and the heritage and the family heritage you inherited. And when you look at that, you, you see that which was imperfect and you see that which was glorious. And one of the things you come to, and this is why we celebrate in the Eastern churches, so ingeniously we celebrate before Christmas the family of Christ, his heritage. The reason we do, and what's good about that, is that in the end, you look at it all, or we ought to feel a certain sense, of blessing, of gratitude. And we marvel at how God worked through 
our own heritage, our own lineage, through the people, just as he did through the lineage of Christ. All those people that came before him, whether his blood relations or those that are close to him in terms of their prophetic call, such as the prophets or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They were all part of the heritage, the lineage, the story of Jesus Christ. And we all have a story. It's a story of our family. And I often think to myself, in fact, when I come home, my mom is still at home, and I go down the basement where my, my dad's man cave was, <laughs> where we saw him spend so many, many hours as the man of the house, the father, you know, his tool bench, his tools. That's where we'd get our Saturday night haircuts in preparation for going to church on Sunday when we were kids. He would show us how to build things and fix things and make things. He would work with us there. We built things together with him. And I would look at all that stuff, and some of the tools are still there. And what was once a place of great activity and creativity, it was dad, the father, the man of the house, keeping the house going. I look at those tools now, and they're quiet. They're silent. They just sit there on the bench. And they are relics, in a sense, of, of memories, of a story that once was. And I think to myself, that story is over now. These were like the stage props of a great drama, a great story on the theater, on the stage that was my family. And that is no more. There are vestiges of it. The symbols of it remain. And I like to see those symbols there. I told my mom, Mom, just kind of leave these tools here because the sons of Joseph Loya, your sons, we like to come home and revisit those things with our memories. They're little touchstones of our father. But I look at them as they sit there silently and all the ways that they were used and very alive and the noises that came from those tools and how active they were in my dad's hands as he would fix things and build the house. I don't think we ever called a repairman in my entire existence. My dad fixed everything. He was not about to call a repairman when he could do it himself. And he did it with those tools. But now they remain silent, just as silent inanimate relics of a story, evidence of a story that once was. And it makes me think of that story. And that story, when I was growing up, seemed like it was never going to end. You know, when you're growing up, you don't have that sense of finality or temporality. You look at your life as so much ahead of you, and you get so concerned with what's happening day to day in the moment. You don't really have that sense that life is actually very short and very finite here. But when members of your family pass on, especially if it's your parents, you do get that sense because with the passing of a parent, you really get the sense that the story is over. That story that once was so real, it seemed like it would never end, although of course you know that we all die, but you don't have that sense of it ending. It's just day to day. It's life with dad and mom and our family. And dad's working the workbench and mom's doing her thing and cooking and stuff like that. And the boys work playing and doing our things and we grow up through the years, and Dad is still tinkering down on the workbench and so on. It's a story, a story of a family. And now that story ends, and you look back on it, just as we look back on the story of Christ, I see it as all good. Even difficult times, as all families have, I see it as a blessing from God, how God revealed himself through my father, my mom, the story that was ours. That was our story, unique, as your story is unique. It will never be repeated. It was our story, and now it's over. When we look at it, 
and we look at how God acted through that story, through every piece of it, to reveal himself to us through the people and the events. And in the end, as I was telling my mother just recently, I saw her on Thanksgiving, I said, you know, Mom, as I look back at it all, and it's I'm very, very reflective since these deaths of my family, as I'm sure many of you are with these kinds of things. I look back and I told my mom, you know, Mom, I look at all the details. I look at it all, the big picture, the story that was once ours, that is now ending. I look at it and say to myself, it was all good. It was all a blessing. Even the difficult times, which every family has, even tragic times, which we've had, in the end, it was all good. It was our story, and God was the author of that story. We were simply the players and the actors, privileged to have come together. And now that story ends, and hopefully we'll be all together again in the great eternal story of heaven. And so these feast days, these liturgical observances, actually help draw me into not only the story of Christ, my own story, the story of my family, and how we see Christ in all of that, the parallels with Christ's own story. And I hope that you, as you immerse yourself, if nothing else, in this program that talks about these feast days, but if you can immerse yourself in it by actually observing these feast days of the Eastern liturgical calendar prior to Christmas, I hope that it draws you into a deeper look and understanding and appreciation of your own story and how God worked through it. It's your story, it's unrepeatable, it's unique. In the end, I hope you will say as I do and as we do for Christ's story, in the end, it was all good. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening to and supporting Light of the East. Coming soon, you'll be able to hear the latest programs from Light of the East and past podcasts on TaborLife.com. Now, we'll keep you posted on our progress. And once again, thank you for listening to Light of the East. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Willcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.